We love the Employee Retention Tax Credit and what it does for clients. Find out if you qualify at iHeartTaxRefunds.com. As the first and only CPA firm in the country solely offering ERC services, JWC has helped thousands of businesses claim over $500 million in tax refunds. We're a licensed and regulated CPA firm committed to client education without the gimmicks and deception of unlicensed ERC companies. Learn how to qualify at iHeartTaxRefunds.com. Welcome to the Grit Daily Startup. I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk, and this is a podcast about what goes on behind the scenes at startups. The good, the bad, and the gritty. Let's dive in. So good day. This is Karim Nirani at Link2, and we're still here in South by Southwest. It's a beautiful day today, unlike yesterday, which was dreary, cold, and rainy. Uh, it did clear up uh, early in the uh, after, early in the evening, but um, today is a beautiful day. So if you're not here, you're missing it. If you're here, enjoy the day. I'm very excited today. We have today with us um, <laughs> Melanie Subin, if I pronounce it correctly. You are. At the Future Today Institute. We're going to have a really interesting conversation about imagining the future. Uh, I'd like for Melanie to introduce herself a little bit here and what Future Today Institute actually does. Melanie, over to you. Sure. Thanks for having me. So I am the Director of Consulting at Future Today Institute. We are a quantitative foresight firm, which is a fancy way of saying that we use data and information to anticipate plausible futures. So we anticipate all of the different ways that things could go, and then we help organizations and companies adequately prepare. So when we hear the words metaverse, NFTs, crypto, blockchain, um, tell us a little bit a little bit more about the stance that Future Today Institute takes on all of those words that we've just talked about. Some are buzzwords that have just come into existence. Others uh, were around a little bit longer. You know, the cryptocurrency currency and crypto assets were around in 2008, 2007, when Bitcoin started. Um, we started talking about NFTs about two years ago when it was an acronym. Metaverse is becoming popular today, but we're not sure what that really means. I mean, I thought we were in the metaverse four years ago when we were developing the, developing the Oculus. So <laughs> help us understand a little bit about what it is about the metaverse that's so interesting today that everybody's paying attention to it. Sure. So a lot of these technologies that you mentioned are not new. Um, as you referenced, NFTs began around 2015, even though they weren't popular then. So we've been tracking these technologies for a number of years. What changed? I think the pandemic, right? So people being isolated in their homes drove individuals to look for a couple of things, new ways to connect that really felt authentic and filled that gap, um, and also new ways to spend, right? We saw an influx of spending on things like NFT art, uh, but we also saw a decrease in things like travel. And so it was kind of a culmination of different events that that came together, I think, to drive these trends forward. As far as what we think about it, you know, we're monitoring it, we're excited about it, but we're also pragmatic. I think we're only beginning to see the potential behind some of these different topics. Uh, and my opinion is that they're going to evolve pretty significantly before they they really become ultimately what they should be. What should they be? In my opinion, they should enhance our existing life. So the metaverse, for example, all of the conversation right now centers around virtual reality, 
Um, I have been quoted as saying that almost everybody in 2030 will be jacked into the metaverse. And I do think that's true, but I don't think that means VR. I think that humans really cannot live in a, in a virtual false reality. And so metaverse technologies like augmented reality, other extended reality like holograms, diminished reality, as well as small wearable devices that track our gestures, things like spatial audio, these will enhance our current experiences and our relationship with the physical world, not take us out of it. So I haven't heard the term diminished reality mm. before, so that's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, as we look at this, the large size corporations that you work with and you ask them to imagine the future and what it means to them, and we're talking about large size companies, I'm assuming what, between five, 10,000 employees, these are global brands. Yes. Um, and when you ask them to imagine the future, what do they, what is a process that they need to go through to understand what's happening? They have a lot of legacy business. They're making a lot of um, profits or revenue on the existing businesses. How do you think they're going to tap into this um, new reality, uh, for lack of a better term? Yeah. Well, I think awareness is the first step. Um, that's our first step with all of our clients. So um, just creating some understanding around what is the metaverse actually, um, creating familiarity with terms like diminished reality, um, and helping businesses to understand how these technologies work so that they're not just depending upon sort of the marketing perspectives that are being put out there right now. A lot of these companies are really going to be able to take advantage of the technologies to do what they do best. Um, I'll give you an example. We've done some work with a very large media company um, that is well known in the news space uh, overseas. And so they were able to imagine how they could use synthetic media to make their news available to anybody around the world in any language in a customized and personalized way. It's something that the technology exists for today, but they hadn't imagined applying that technology to their capabilities in that way. So again, this technology should enhance what people and what companies do best, not replace it. So this is an interesting direction. Uh, when we think, and I think most people would would think that a metaverse is being plugged in, like you mentioned, into virtual worlds. And um, that's sort of a scary scenario when you think everyone's stuck behind their computer imagining yep. the world. But in reality, um, businesses are not thinking that way. No, I think most businesses are pretty pragmatic. They assume that that uh, eventuality of people being on screens in that way, a virtual reality screen or augmented reality, will probably not take place for another 10 or 15 years. And I think that's right. Today, the applications that we see like Sandbox and Decentraland, a lot of people are accessing them on their laptops. They're not accessing them through virtual reality headsets or using spatial audio. They're just going on their laptop. And so in that way, it's really no different than today's behavior. I think we're going to see continuance of, of today's behavior for a while until the technology keeps up. And what is the technology that we're talking about? Um, is there a particular term for this new technology? Is it in existence? What What is that technology? Yeah. So the, the core need to enable the metaverse uh, at its full potential is really with hardware. And so right now, the only hardware that is available to the average consumer, even though it's at a very high price point, is a virtual reality headset. 
There are a lot of limitations with VR. Um, it's, it's essentially, you know, locking you out of your surroundings. So you can't use VR when you're walking down the street or you're on the subway. And so you can see that we need other technology in place. Augmented reality is going to be a key enabler. Glasses are the most familiar application of that tech. There have been a couple smart glasses out in the marketplace. They're honestly not that smart. <laughs> Some of them just take photos. Um, most of them do not actually provide data and information to your to you in your field of vision um, in the way that you would need for it to be in the metaverse. So help me also understand or help us understand. We hear a lot now about folks creating meta worlds, mm. um, meta islands, mm-hmm. meta countries. Uh, what does that mean? I think it's all an experiment right now. You know, I I do see a lot of the discussion is around buying virtual real estate, um, buying up space and creating assets in these virtual lands. Um, and I think this is kind of akin to like 1995 in the internet, right? People and companies are experimenting with how they can play in the metaverse, but ultimately it's only going to work if it's really all open, Um, And so that's something that I've seen multiple other speakers very recently reference, you know, Scott Galloway yesterday, it is South by talk, Uh, Kathy Hackle, you know, referenced this in an article a couple of days ago, Uh, the metaverse really isn't going to work if it's not fully open. Um, You know, if we can't use these assets that we're creating or transfer our value easily from one virtual destination to another, it won't work. And so in that way, I really agree with many of these experts who are saying that, you know, Facebook's meta, it's not going to work because it is essentially what we're referring to as a walled garden. Um, You know, the idea of the metaverse really should be that everything is working seamlessly together. And so you're having, you know, this, this very easy to engage with digital experience. At FTI, we've been calling it uh, hands down to heads up. Imagine a future where you're not typing everything into your phone when you need information or when you're going somewhere, Um, you know, but that will only work if all of these devices and all of these destinations really work in tandem. So the other, the other concern though, is as we talk about headsets, immersive experiences, smart glasses, technology, hardware, we're speaking about, um, Technologies and and hardware that are is only accessible by the the wealthy countries, uh, North America, perhaps Europe. What happens to the all of the emerging countries that don't have access to yeah. to all of this? I mean, we're with that advent, we're actually shutting out seventy five percent of the global population. How does that feel? Yeah, it's a big risk. And it's one we've been thinking about a lot at FTI. And it's not just about the affordability of devices. It's also about access to connectivity. Um, So in South America, for example, a lot of regions of South America are still using 3G technology. They're beginning to bring 4G online. Um, But the speeds and the latency available through 3G and 4G are not sufficient to support the kind of connectivity that we're talking about here. And so I think we really do run the risk of a very significant gap between haves and have-nots, both in terms of countries and their access to this technology and their ability to engage in a global economy, as well as between individuals, even in our country. um, You know, these devices are still quite expensive. They will be for a long time. Access to internet at that speed is still very expensive. And so I think that that's something where we're going to have to address it in a, in a variety of different ways. 
One of the ways I fear it will be addressed is technology companies making these uh, pieces of hardware and this connectivity available at a discount because they will gather the data and the data is valuable to them. We already see that today. Uh, Social media sites that are free are not free, right? You're paying with your own personal data. Um, The danger is that these devices we're referencing are going to gather so much more information, biometric data on your body, health-related data, hyperlocation data on a constant basis. And from what we've seen over the past few years, consumers in general tend to be willing to give up that kind of data in exchange for having access. So this brings up an interesting topic. The companies that we're talking about, the large-size companies, are all, for a back, uh, lack of a better term, centralized companies. Yep. Uh, there are organizations that are for-profit organizations that are run by a management team and everyone else is an employee. And there's still a centralized concept to that. But we see this huge movement and creation of decentralization. Um, so that doesn't seem to work in tandem at all. It's a divergent and a divergence of ac- um, access- accessibility. Yeah, The vision of Web3, right, is that we will have more autonomy. The individuals will be able to own their assets independently without having to go through, you know, a middleman or a bank or another institution. Um, We are seeing a bit of that, uh, for example, in the Constitution DAO. I don't know if you saw that, a group of individuals who attempted to buy the U.S. Constitution. We are seeing people use blockchain and cryptocurrency applications really creatively to take ownership I'm not sure how that would come to fruition, though, when it comes to the metaverse, because you would need a group of people to essentially own that entire space, and there is no one space to own. I think what will end up happening is that you'll have a variety of options in terms of the hardware that you use and the sites that you go on, and some may be more responsible than others in terms of the data that they gather, but the reality is, you know, this model works really well in a capitalist economy. Yes. Um, and there and there really is no barrier right now pushing back on that kind of collection of data. So we, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, folks willing to give up personal data, health data, maybe even financial data to mm-hmm. have access to these opportunities in the metaverse. But then you've got a contradiction contradicting philosophy of sovereign identity and allowing very limited data for particular use cases. So would we say that there is a direct conflict between the metaverse as it stands today and sovereign identity as, as uh, that we're looking at? Well, I think there's a solve. And I think the solve is using this blockchain and this NFT technology to give people tangible ownership over their own data. So one of the things that we've been exploring as a company is looking at people, for example, being able to monetize their voice. I'm recording a podcast right now. You're going to have 30 minutes of my voice on this podcast. I've also recorded interviews and other videos. I could choose to monetize my voice and then charge a certain amount for it. Probably not all that much because I'm not a famous celebrity. And I could make money every time somebody chooses to use my voice in synthetic media. That's a really obvious application of, mon- of monetizing my own data. The other application would be using this type of technology so that individuals could clearly see every time their data is used in an algorithm or in a business model, every time their data is collected and exactly what kind of data is collected, and having them be able to create a token around their data so that they know who's using it, who has it, and so that they can actually transact on that data and receive a small, tiny fraction of money every time it's used. I think that that's one possible solve for it. 
And it's something that, you know, if a company is smart, they'll be able to embed it into a digital identity technology. In that way, you might see a lot of people kind of break even, right? They're using a lot of this technology at a quote unquote discount level, but they're also having their data used quite a bit, but they know exactly how it's being used. You might also see some people be willing to sell more of that data and actually make some money off of it. But I think that just creating some transparency around that using these blockchain capabilities is one way to begin to solve the problem. So that's that's actually a very interesting comment. And I, I love the example of being able to monetize your data, your knowledge, and what you've put out in there into the verse rather than metaverse, but yep. universe. Yep. Um, to, and gain... Um, and gain some compensation for it, which is a very interesting aspect. So would that be the whole idea of what's happening with uh, digitization of assets through NFTs and smart contracts? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, I think, you know, NFT art is just a way for people to experiment with how to use uh, tokenized digital value. It's possible that people will continue to buy it. We also see interesting hardware like TV screens that become something that looks like an art frame in one's living room. I could see people continuing to buy digital art for that use. But more than that, I think NFTs ultimately will be a way for us to be able to tokenize things that it was very difficult previously for us to actually put a put a name on and say, this is an asset. This is something of value. And it's it's being aligned to some amount of transaction cost or, or monetization. Um, and so I think NFTs are going to be used in that way and also to exchange, you know, knowledge, uh, access to services for a short period of time. I think, uh, you know, paying for individual news articles, paying for individual uh, tidbits of data. These are things right now that it's very difficult for businesses to do without it being very unwieldy because they need a, a business model that runs smoothly. If everything is tokenized, then it's not all that hard for even small amounts of value to be exchanged. So we're talking about token economics then? Yep. Um, the future of data on token economics and some of the challenges uh, that we may see or the successes that we may see in that. And that is another topic that will take another half an hour <laughs> to get involved with. It sure would. Um, but I do want to, if you have some examples of companies that are effectively using today, um, perhaps some of the things that we've talked about in the metaverse. Could you give us an example of that? We're seeing a lot of um, patents coming out through Disney, actually. Um, and this is not related to token economics, but this is just related to the experience. Uh, one of the things that comes up a lot about the metaverse is obviously virtual reality. Um, and so Disney is experimenting with other technologies where you would not need any sort of headset or device to experience this uh, virtual experiential uh, reality. And so that's one really interesting company. A lot of new tech comes out of Disney. You know, they, they have a lot of money to burn. They, you know, it's worth their while for them to create technologies that are, uh, you know, exceptional experiences. And so that's one company that, that we've been watching quite a bit. Um, on the flip side of that, in a totally different direction, uh, ID.me, um, there's been a lot of controversy around that company recently. They almost became sort of the sole provider of digital identity for the U.S. government. I think a lot of people did not realize that they were only moments away from having to work with that one privatized company to access things like their social security information. Um, you know, I think ID.me and other digital identity companies is an area where we're not seeing a lot of activity, but we will very, very soon. 
um, a digital identity capability is going to be an underpinning of the metaverse. It's not going to work if we don't have sort of one way to log on and log into all of these different destinations. So those are two examples. Right. So actually, that brings up another point, which is the digitization of identity. Mm. Um, we've seen a lot of pushback during the COVID, and, uh, COVID era, two years, I'm hoping this is the, the limit of it and the extent of it. But there was a lot of pushback by uh, a lot of individuals who are saying they're not willing to give up their identity. They're not willing to do a digital passport. They're not willing to do a, a healthcare digital uh, identification process. How do you see that playing out that, you know, we've, we've got to worry about so, uh, sovereign identity and digital identities and all of these digital aspects that people just don't want to do? I mean, mm -hmm. will we see that? A mass adoption or will there just be a, uh, holdouts for this? I think there are holdouts now. I think we're going to see mass adoption because it's going to be required by entities that they have to engage with. So for example, the U.S. government, Social Security Administration, or we might see educational institutions begin to implement this technology. Uh, we also might see, you know, private companies, healthcare organizations, and people are going to be forced to engage in that way. I think that we're going to see large companies and large institutions adopt this streamlined form of digital identity uh, within the next five years. It really, it's, it's worth their while to invest in that technology because they're all working on legacy systems and connectivity between their organizations is already almost impossible. And so they're not going to do it because the consumer wants it or because it's better for the consumer. They're going to do it because they need to as they update their systems. And I think that is what's going to force individuals to sign on. Well, that's uh, that's fascinating. I, I do want to ask you to um, imagine. It's very difficult for me. Uh, I'm sure it is for other people as we sit here, run our day-to-day -day businesses and try to accomplish things that we need to accomplish uh, just to survive, live and prosper, take care of our family, health and wealth. Um, and I, I've... I envy you having the ability to sit back and imagine the future. Mm. Now, in your wildest imaginations, outside the metaverse, digital identity, what do you imagine the future to look like? Uh, let's keep it fluid. As long as you want, it could be five years, 10 years, 15 years, mm -hmm. in your wildest dreams, what do you imagine the future to look like? Yeah. There are a few different uh, key areas that we've been focusing a lot on, aside from metaverse and cryptocurrency and digital identity and everything that goes with it. Uh, synthetic biology is another um, huge technology that will impact almost every single company and every single person, whether or not they know it. Uh, and synthetic biology is a topic that Amy Webb, who's our, our CEO, recently wrote a book on um, called The Genesis Machine. And synthetic biology is revolutionizing everything from food. When you hear about, you know, lab grown meat, um, it sounds creepy, but but it really is the future of food production in a way that is sustainable, both for the, the climate and also for people and their health. So uh, synthetic biology is a key area. We're seeing it already in medicine. Um, you know, within COVID, as we've been experimenting with mRNA vaccines um, and other ways of manipulating biology to sort of do what we need it to do, uh, I think that's an area that we're going to see grow uh, significantly. Climate is another. Um, you know, climate is top of everybody's mind. We're exploring different ways that that might impact different industries. So things like buildings, for example, 
new types of material that buildings will be made of, both to make them stronger and also to make them more resilient towards weather, as well as where they're going to be located, uh, movement of populations away from heavily impacted areas. Um, And then finally, food, you know, a lot of focus on food, where it's going to be grown, how it's going to be grown. We see food being grown indoors uh, quite a bit more in the next five to 10 years in more controlled environments. And that can have really great implications, especially for urban environments that it's difficult for certain communities to access fresh food. Um, This type of technology is going to make fresh food accessible no matter where you are. So how then do we relate this, all that we've talked about today, how do we relate that to space and what's happening in space, whether it's near space, mid space or outer space? Yeah. So there's a lot going on in space right now. I think that is an area where we're looking more at like the 15 to 20 year timeframe. A lot of discussions about space tourism, you know, we are not of the mind that, you know, the rich are leaving the planet in the next 15 years to avoid, you know, climate catastrophe. Um, I I wouldn't call that plausible, maybe in the distant future. Um, However, I think space gives us an environment to learn quite a bit. Uh, So it's different environments to grow in. It creates a way for us to experiment with how different forces, uh, whether those are gravity or different types of pressure, uh, impact growing, impact health, And so I see it as really an avenue for us to experiment and learn about how we can function differently than we have in the past. Do you study perhaps after, especially after the COVID environment, changes in aging, illness, and medicine development? Yeah. So, I mean, the aging population, uh, I will say, is going to be one of the biggest forces that we're going to see in the world over the next 10 years. And that's not only in terms of how much medical care they will need, but also where our aging population will go. Uh, The current uh, healthcare environment and where we take care of our elderly population is really failing. It, It doesn't provide adequate care, particularly when you think about the social aspect of things. And so when we think about healthcare and medicine, obviously we think about uh, precision healthcare. We think about, um, you know, new types of AI that will enable um, precision treatment for different types of disease, synthetic biology that can cure previously incurable diseases that, you know, occur at the molecular level. But we also think about how different technologies like the ones that we were talking about earlier can help with mental health. Uh, can help to, for example, create an environment where the aging population does not feel so isolated. And there have been a number of different studies that, you know, connect mental health and resilience to physical health. And I think that is one area that will see technology really impact quality of life greatly. Wonderful. That's great. So I, this has been a great honor for me, uh, Melanie, to speak with you. Um, it's been it's been a real, real <laughs> A real pleasure because I, well. I start to hear and understand some of, the, some of the things that we always try to search for and having all of this information right here with you in 30 minutes is, uh, is immensely valuable. So you may not be uh, famous, like you said, but <laughs> what you've done and said today has been very highly valuable. And here at Link2, we, we try to identify trends uh, that are impacting businesses and gro- their growth of businesses and what we should be looking to invest in. It's been very highly valuable to us, uh, to our audience, and I'd like to thank you so much. So 
before we sign off, is there anything you would like to say to the audience listening today, how to find you, what to look for, and what is it that you want them to, to learn uh, yeah. from FTI? Absolutely. So as you probably know, Karim, our 2022 Tech Trends Report is launching on Monday, and that will be available on our website at www.futuretodayinstitute.com. So for any listeners who want to know more about any of these topics, all of them are discussed in our report. We've got over 550 trends, over 13 books. You can just go to the book that talks about the topic you are interested in. Um, And so we hope that listeners go and read and find new topics that they are passionate about. Um, You know, I always like to say it's about preparation. It's not about prediction. And so simply being aware of possible change and and taking more time in our daily lives to think about it and its impacts for ourselves and our businesses, that's how we make progress moving forward. And that's how we do things better the next time. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. I appreciate your time. Thank you. And your knowledge and and your willingness to share. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Grit Daily Startup. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. This podcast is brought to you by GritDaily.com, the premier startup news hub. More information at GritDaily.com. Once again, I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk. Until next time, friends. Grit Daily.